We are instead going to be talking about uh, this topic, loneliness. Loneliness. Perhaps not uh, in a manner that you might initially think when you hear that word. Philippians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21 states this, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. I heard a uh, sermon a long time ago, uh, Brother Lee Stone King preached it, and, he, and he, he used this verse and he said this, he said, in all of Scripture there is no more lonely verse than this. The Apostle Paul, with the burden that he carried from the Lord, looked around and determined that there was no man like-minded. He went on to say, all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. When we, those of you that weren't raised in church, uh, would understand this a little bit more uh, than those that were, what a blessing to be raised in church. What an absolute blessing it is to be raised in church. Amen. I was not, uh, I came in as a young adult, and so I, I had friends out in the world, and we we're like-minded. We hung out. We did things together. We went to the bars. We went to movies. We, we did this. We did that. And there was nothing wrong with it in here. I felt no prick in my spirit. We all agreed this was, this was fun. This was a good thing to do. After I came to the Lord, that changed for me. And I started being convicted of those things. I didn't want to go to the bar anymore. I didn't want to drink anymore. I didn't want to go to these movies anymore. My desires started to change. I still liked the, the people. I still, I, I still thought of them as my best friends. But they started looking at me differently. They started finding other things to do. They started not returning my calls. And eventually, it got to the point where either they were in church with me or they weren't in my life at all. We started thinking differently. The revelations that I was receiving from the Lord through preaching, through studying the Word of God, through spending time with Him in prayer was changing me. And I was leaving them behind. I didn't mean to. I didn't. That was never my intention. But they couldn't understand me anymore. And I, more and more, I couldn't understand where they were coming from, what they were desiring, what they wanted to do. And my desires shifted from that to wanting to be in church, wanting to spend time with God, wanting to read Scripture. And we find in our lives as Christians, the, the, the farther along we go, that we don't relate to people in the world. We can't. We can't understand why they do what they do. 
And they look at us the same way. Why do you go to church several times a week? I go to church once and it's boring. They're probably telling the truth. (laughs) We discover that we don't relate to the world anymore. We're separate from it now. We can't understand it. We start relating to the fact that we are pilgrims. That we don't belong here anymore. This is not our home. Loneliness is the price we pay for personal holiness and separation from the world. I'm not talking about being alone and and feeling like I'm the only one here in the world. That's not what I'm talking about. Because the farther along we go in God, the more we realize how desperately we need to spend time with Him. We're not alone spiritually. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are built to be social creatures, aren't we? Even Jesus said, Jesus, God said in Genesis that it was not good for man to be alone. We need companionship. Adam had the Lord physically present with him, but he still needed someone else. We still need people. And so we still have that longing, that longing to belong to something, that desire to be understood and to be heard. But the farther along we go with God, the less likely that's going to be. We begin to separate ourselves even from other Christians who are not as far along, perhaps. We don't fit into society as a whole. And those that have have an ear, let them hear. Those of you that have experienced this, you'll understand. Lovers want to be alone. And there are times in our lives that the draw of God becomes irresistible. And we've got to separate ourselves, even from godly company, to spend time with Jesus Christ, to spend time with Him in prayer. The desire becomes so strong sometimes that you're... You just start losing interest in whatever conversation is going on around you, even a spiritual conversation. And you start thinking about, how can I get away? How can I, how can I, how can I separate myself from this to spend time with God? He's the desires of our heart. He's the desire of my heart. He's, he's my everything. And as, and as strong as I feel that sometimes, and you feel that sometimes, His desire for us is so much more powerful. His desire to spend time with you and me is many times greater than we'll ever experience. We see all kinds of examples of this in Scripture. If we look at the life of Enoch, there's not a lot to, lo- to look at. Granted, But even in the few verses that we find about Enoch, we see some pretty powerful things. That he walked with God. 
And then he was not because God took him. He did not walk with man. He was the only one of his generation taken. I can imagine that his life was, as far as his compatriots, as far as his, uh, those around him, that he was probably a little bit misunderstood. Hard to understand that he was a man that walked apart. Noah. Noah was a man who stood against the lifestyles of everyone around him. He stood for righteousness in a world of violence and evil. I have to imagine that he was probably ridiculed. It had never rained from the sky before. And that's exactly what he was talking. 120 years, this crazy man was talking, water's going to fall from the sky. How long have we been hearing about Jesus' imminent return? Less than 120 years, I imagine. <clears throat> but after the 120 years, the rain came, just like he said it would. Jesus is coming back, church. He's coming back soon. And it doesn't matter if you've heard it your whole life. He's coming back soon. We have, we've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared for that. The Bible says He's coming back when we least expect it. <laughs> I won't say it like that. Don't get caught surprised. Don't get caught surprised. When he comes back. In the end, only his family came with him. Again, with a little bit of imagination. I don't know if I'm right on this, but I can imagine. We don't hear anything about Noah's family except they existed and they came into the ark with him. We don't hear anything about them helping him out. We don't hear anything about uh, the sons preaching alongside of them. Nothing like that. Noah was the one that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was the one called to preach that the end of the world is imminent. Noah was the one that walked apart. Abraham. We don't really see in Scripture where God spoke to him when there were people around. But when he was alone, God spoke to him a lot. Abraham was a man of faith. When God told him to do something, he simply just did it. He didn't need any further instructions. He didn't need any clarification. He just went ahead and did it. Even when it meant killing his firstborn son. Technically not firstborn, but the son of promise. 
He just got up early in the morning and went about it to do it. God spoke to him in, in times of aloneness. God spoke to him in times where he was set apart all by himself. And in our lives, we can... Please don't think I'm talking about just leaving church and and staying alone with God for the rest of our lives. Okay, please don't, don't hear that. But what I am saying is that when you are apart, when you are alone with God, value that. That can be your most powerful time with God. That can be the time of the most potent spiritual growth in your life. That time with God. If we only understood how desperate he is for each and every one of us, how potent his desire is to spend time, just a little bit of time with us. And there are times in my life as well where I think it a chore, I think it, I'm trying to work it in, I know I have to pray, it's, it's one of my spiritual disciplines, God help me. Why can't I feel like he does? If anybody ought to feel that way toward anyone, it's me toward him. Why does he feel that way toward me? He doesn't need me. Why does he want me? I don't know. But I accept it. It's in scripture. I have to believe it. And I walk accordingly. But if he feels that way toward me, why can't I always feel that way toward him? Why do I get to the place sometimes where I'm looking for an excuse to do something else? Why does that happen with people? Moses. Moses was called to be the one God would use to deliver Israel from bondage to Egypt. Initially, he was sent to the backside of the wilderness for 40 years. He tried accomplishing the plan of God in his time and in his way. God said, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh-uh, that's not how we're going to do it. So he sent him off to learn, to grow, to mature in the wilderness, alone. I've heard a few sermons on the wilderness. You probably have too. They're never fun. They're never pleasant. But they're always necessary. If we understood what God was doing to us in those times, what he was working into us, what he was pulling out of us in those times in the wilderness, if we understood that, we would we would look forward to those times. When we come out of the wilderness, we are we are completely different people, more able to serve, more able to do we can do so much more for God afterward than we could going in. But we enter into the wilderness typically with a why me, why now attitude. 
I'm trying to serve you, Jesus. Why is this happening? I do the same thing. Afterward, every time afterward, I feel like an idiot. Oh, that's why. Now I understand. Like I had to understand for, for God to, to, to do his thing. So Moses was sent to the backside of the wilderness for 40 years. After God called him out, he began to do great and mighty things for God. Yes? God worked miracle after miracle after miracle through the man Moses. He delivered the law to the nation of Israel through Moses. God spoke to Moses as a man speaks to a friend face to face. The relationship that Moses had with God in the Old Testament under the law was absolutely incredible. In fact, his relationship was so close that later on we read that his face shone like the sun because he spent so much time in the presence of God. And when we spend time in the presence of God and, and we, God speaks to us about something and we get excited about it and we see something in Scripture that just pops out to us. And I'm like, oh my, I've never seen that before. That's amazing. And we go to tell someone and they're like, They're just not that interested. It's almost as if they're saying, can you put a veil on your face, please? I appreciate the fact that, you know, you're in the presence of God and God's talking to you and you're more spiritual and blah, 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 but I just, I'd rather, I don't want to hear it. Not interested. Moses came before Israel, his face shining. They couldn't stand the radiance. He had to put a veil on his face when he was talking to, to the Israelites. And then when he, when he went back in the presence of God, he could take it off. More and more, we see as, as Moses progresses through life, the revelations that he received, the, the, the close walk he had with God. That he grows more and more distant. More and more separate. I mean, he never, he never separated himself physically from the nation of Israel. He was always present with them. But spiritually, he got more and more distant. Closer and closer to God. If the Israelites would have done the same thing, there would have never have been any separation. And you're going to find that in your life too. As a Christian, when you purpose in your heart, I'm going to get as much of God as I can. I'm going to get as close to God as I can. I want to hear from Him. I want to be like Him. When you purpose in your heart to do that, you're going to find yourself growing a little bit more distant from those other Christians that have not purposed in their heart to do that. Christians who are very content to just come to church and sing beautifully and, and, and pray a few minutes at the altar and then leave until the next service. I guess there are probably always going to be Christians like that, but 
I decided very early on I was not. I am not going to be like that. I want as much of God as I can get. I do. I'll be the first to admit I don't always do it. I don't always, it's not always in my heart. But as a Christian, in moments of clarity, I want God more than anything else in the world. I want Him to use me more than anything else in the world. Because when it's all said and done, it doesn't matter what else I have done. It literally doesn't matter what else I've done with my life. I could build huge companies and and employ millions of people. That's a good thing. It's It's a good thing to have a successful business and employ people. But that business is going away when Jesus comes back. It's burning to the ground. It may do that before he comes back. The best thing I can think of to do in this life is nothing. Nothing compared to working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever he's called me to do. And if this God wants a relationship with me, If it were anyone else, I'd be looking at the fine print, looking at, where's the cats? There's got to be a cats here. But the one that created everything, who upholds all things by the word of his power, the one who created me, if he wants that kind of a relationship with me, why would I not want to reciprocate that? Why would I not want a relationship with him? Moses was often misunderstood. He was at the same time feared and disrespected. And lived with the frustration that he could never seem to bring Israel to the same level as God had brought him to. As Christians, certainly as leaders, but as Christians as a whole, one of our desires, one of our Holy Ghost desires that God gives us is to see people come to the Lord. To see them delivered from whatever it is they're wallowing in like we were. That's one of our... That's built into us as Christians. And afterward, we want to see them to continue to grow. To become productive in the kingdom of God. To establish a relationship with God themselves. We want to see that. And if we get to the place in a relationship with someone that we don't see that, we get concerned. Why are they not growing? Why are they not hungering after God? That concerns us. And it ought to. So I can imagine Moses continually frustrated with the nation of Israel. Not only would they not make progress toward God, but it seemed like they were making progress away from Him. Constantly faithless, constantly murmuring against God, against God's man. That's all they seemed to do. Whenever any situation came, if it was a good situation, 
Fantastic. Now we're going to sing songs about how great God is. But as soon as that stopped or, or, or reversed just a little bit, oh, what did God that we died in the wilderness? I wish we were back in, in, in Egypt. I miss the leeks and the onions and the garlic and blah, 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 blah. They got a little thirsty. They got a little hungry. They wanted to go back into slavery. That was better to them than serving the Lord, than serving God. They are the same. <laughs> Just not time wise. He had the burden of leadership. That always, that always separates people. There's always a loneliness that's associated with leadership. If you came to the Lord and your family didn't, you would understand exactly what that is. You try to lead your family to the Lord. You try to, you, you gotta always watch what you say and you gotta watch what you do and, and there's things you want to say, but I don't know if that would be a good witness. I don't know if that's gonna help or hurt, so I, I don't say that. They, they're free to say anything they want to. They can rail against you all day long. But I have to watch it. Because now I represent someone else. I could lay right back into them. Oh, I could have. But I didn't. I couldn't because that wouldn't... My purpose wasn't to get revenge. My purpose wasn't to, to feel good, to win an argument. My purpose was to see them saved. That's God's purpose. And so in that, in that area of leadership, I'm trying to lead them. I'm trying to influence them to serve Jesus Christ. And so there's things I just can't share with them. There's things I just can't discuss or, or, or say to them. Moses felt the same way. A lot of you know what that is. He spent many hours, even days, in God's presence. God would call him up the mountain. God would call him into the, the tabernacle. God would call him to a place apart. Just him and God. So that they could commune. He spent hours, even days, in God's presence. Separated unto God. And very content to dwell there. Like Moses, like everyone else, we will often crave to be understood. Especially with other Christians. When we get a revelation in Scripture, something that just jumps out at us. Something we'd read a thousand times but have never seen before. You know what I mean. And it's just so powerful and it's, it really speaks to what you're going through right now. And you want to share it with someone. You know, one of the things I used to like doing, uh, and this is, this is how I like social interaction, okay? I like just a few people, a small group, and we talk about something deep. We talk about something meaningful. That's what I enjoy doing. I get a lot of energy out of that. I can, I can talk for hours. If I'm in a big crowd trying to mingle... I'll make it as long as I can, and then I'm going to have to go rest. 
because that's going to drain me dry. But if I can get a group together and we can talk about something deep and meaningful, man, I'll, I'll stay up all night with you. I'm just going to feed off of that. And especially when we're talking about Scripture or we're talking about, you know, the things of God, spiritual things. That is powerful for me. And, and I enjoy the experience of, of being able to share that with someone and then having someone get excited about that and then they share in return. And it just feeds off of each other. I love doing that. And I think a lot of people do. But when I'm in a situation, I'm excited, I want to share something, and they're just like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Most of my family, I get excited about quantum physics and astrophysics and, and you know, all, all of those kinds of things, and most of them don't. So I... Uh, <clears throat> So I, I'm a man that walks apart. <laughs> uh, but it's frustrating. When you, to, when you come to another Christian, most of us, I think, have probably experienced this. We come to another Christian excited about what God is talking to us about, excited what, what God has shown us, or what God did to us uh, in, in a church service, or at an altar call, or whatever it is. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. Hey, are you free Friday night? Uh, I, got, I got some work I need to do at the house. Can you help me out? Well, yeah, yeah, I can do that. But okay, thanks. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt your day. I'm sorry to, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought that you would receive that differently. But some people don't. We crave that. We crave understanding. We crave to fit in. But oftentimes, and more as we progress in the Lord, as we draw closer to the Lord, we're going to find those experiences. We're not going to be understood. And we're not going to fit in. Now that sounds like there's a big negative connotation to that, but there's not. Because the reason for the separation, the reason we're beginning to not fit in. The reason people aren't understanding us like we want is because we're becoming Christ-like. And for whatever reason, they're not. The separation, the misunderstanding, it's heartbreaking. It's sad. These are our friends. People I came into church with, people, people I sat on the same pew with as a new convert. Some of them are gone, doing Lord knows what. Some of them are still in church, but I don't think they've grown much since I left. Some of them have. And everything in between. Same for your, you guys, your friends. That's the experience we're going to have as we grow, as we progress in God. But we have to grow and we have to progress in God. That's God's desire for us. If it's not your desire, then just do it because it's God's desire. 
That's enough to start. Obedience is enough to start with. I promise you at some point it's going to get in here, though. It did for me. When I started really praying, I didn't want to pray. I wanted nothing to do with praying. But I did it because the people that were discipling me said, you need to pray. After I ran out of excuses, I went to the prayer room and started praying. Guess what happened? I had a good experience in prayer. Wow. And I wanted to come back. And eventually, I would come even when they didn't. Because it was getting in here now. The Lord was establishing something in me directly. It's okay to start with obedience. But at some point, it needs to get in here. The prophets. Many of them lived and walked against the people of their day. They stood against their lifestyles. They stood against their belief systems. They stood against everything of their, that their society would present. They definitely didn't fit in. They were definitely set apart from that. But even when the people lived for God and respected the prophet, just because God had their hand on that prophet, just because of the, the fact that God spoke through them, they were treated differently. They were respected and revered, but oftentimes from a distance. And when they would do something or say something, they wouldn't really understand it or understand why. But God told them. God gave them a message. And so they, they spoke the message. They did the deed that they were supposed to do. Not because they wanted to. Not because it was in their mind to do that. God told them to. Job 19 and 15 says this, They that dwell in mine house and my maids count me for a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. Psalm 69.8 says, I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. These are people that understood that if you're going to live for the Lord, if you're going to serve God, it may very well be a lonely path. Not spiritually, but in the world. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention the loneliest one of all. Jesus. Always misunderstood. Hated by the people. Always alone, even in the midst of a great multitude. Why was he alone? He was alone because of who he was, because of what he stood for, because of what he knew. Again, what could Jesus have told them? He could have told them everything. He could have told them anything they wanted. He had all knowledge. 
all wisdom. He could have told everything. So why didn't he? He couldn't. Not at this time. There was, uh, I learned this lesson the hard way. I had been in church for a little bit of time, and uh, I was really feeling my oats as to what I knew about the Bible and all of that stuff. And so there was a, there was a new convert, and uh, he, he became a good friend. But, uh, you know, he had some questions. And so uh, whenever he'd ask me a question, I'd just vomit everything I knew about the topic, everything. And I didn't temper it. I didn't explain it. I didn't, uh, you know, I just, there's what I know about it. And it scared him to death, and he left. He wanted nothing to do with it anymore. Later on, I've replayed that a few times in my mind since then. I know exactly what I did. I didn't know it then, but some of the things, I don't want to say it that way because it sounds arrogant when I say it. I gave too much information and I didn't give, I used no wisdom, uh, but I, I didn't really explain the significance of what I was saying. I didn't, I didn't give him any frame of reference. I, I would tell him things like, oh, yeah, you're going to suffer as a Christian. Yeah, you're going to suffer a lot. Let me tell you what's happened to me so far. I've only been in this for a couple years. <laughs> Stuff like that. Stuff like that. Now, there, there's a time to say that, and there's a way to say that. But that wasn't the time or the way to say that. Okay? He needed some encouragement. Not, not that. And to my everlasting shame, I did that. And I don't know where he is today, but probably, probably. I hope someone with more wisdom found him and cleaned up my mess. But, uh, so Jesus could have done the same thing. But the people just aren't ready for that. And so, he's, he's, he's here speaking, trying to minister with all of this information, all of this knowledge. I know what's going to happen to you. I know what the best thing is for you right now. But he can't always share that. He can't always explain it. And so he's, sometimes he's just got to be quiet. Sometimes he, you know, he can minister to an extent. But, to the extent Jesus could have ministered, I mean, it's all the way. But you can't always do that. So you feel a little bit distant. You feel a little bit separate from them. The Garden of Gethsemane. He separated himself from the disciples to pray. The disciples, of course, were useless. They couldn't stay awake. They fell asleep, fell asleep, fell asleep. But uh, but Jesus, you know, kept waking them up, 
kept going over to pray. Wake him up, go over to pray. But he was praying by himself. And he was going through it at that point. He was struggling with the will of God at that point. He was. He submitted to it. He responded perfectly to it in every way. But he asked, is there any other way to do this? There is, I'll take it. If not, I want to do it your way. His path to the cross, he walked it alone in the midst of a huge multitude. He carried the cross by himself. He got help. It's interesting, the, the analogies of the cross in the Christian religion. You know, it used to be that the cross was talked about a lot. The blood was talked about a lot. Not so much today. Today we like to focus on the love of God and the mercy of God. And I don't blame you. I don't blame people who want to focus on that. I love that God loves me. I love mercy. I don't want justice. I want mercy. But the blood makes that possible. The cross is why I have mercy. If it weren't for the cross and the spilt blood of Jesus Christ, we're done. There's no hope at all. And so... One of the one of the things about the cross is, you know, Jesus says that, that we ought to take up our cross and follow him. We can't take up someone else's cross. We take up our cross. You take up your cross. It's a lonely thing taking up that cross. You do it by yourself. You carry that cross yourself. Jesus helps us. But at the end of the day, no one can come, no one can come alongside you and carry that cross for you. I can't be saved for you. You can't be saved for me. I've got to be saved myself. I need a relationship with God myself. I carry the cross myself. Whatever cross God has given me to bear, I need to bear it. But it's a lonely path. As a Christian, there are places in God that we simply cannot go in the company of others. To ascend to these heights, we have got to climb alone. We understand that we are strangers in this world. We are pilgrims. We are sojourners. We are wayfarers. We don't belong here. This isn't our home. It used to be. This used to be our home and we were very comfortable in it. But when God saved us and He delivered us, this world became strange to us with its doctrines and with its philosophies and its lifestyles. They are foreign. They are alien to us. We don't belong in this world. This is not our home. The inhabitants of this world have become alien to us, and we to them. 
There's no true understanding between us. I don't understand why they do what they do anymore. I used to. I used to be one of them. But I can't understand it anymore. I'm not, I'm not in this world anymore. They don't understand why I go to church all the time. They don't understand why I don't do this and do that. And even among other Christians, we can begin to feel lonely. When we have purposed in our hearts to draw closer and closer and closer to God, and our friends and our companions have not, but draw closer to God, we must. We have to. He's the source of our, our joy, our strength, our hope. He's our salvation. He's our provision. We have got to pursue Him with everything in us, even if nobody else is. In conclusion, I found this quote by a man named A.W. Tozer. Some of you have read some of his books. He says this, The weakness of many modern Christians is that they feel too much at home in the world. They have lost their pilgrim characteristics and have become part of the very moral order against which they are sent to protest. The world recognizes them and accepts them for what they are, and this is the saddest thing that can be said about them. They are not lonely, but neither are they saints. I don't know if you agree with that statement or not, but the fact of the matter is, there are many Christians in the world today, even in the UPCI, that have become far too comfortable with the world. The Bible preaches to us against worldliness. There is no situation afforded us in Scripture whereby we can draw closer to the world and at the same time draw closer to Jesus Christ. There's no situation like that. We can't do it. We're going to draw close to one or the other. But not both. If we draw closer to the world, we then by definition draw ourselves away from Jesus and vice versa. It is imperative that as the people of God, we don't play around with the world. We don't draw close to it. There's nothing good in it. Now, is everything out there automatically evil? No, it's not. But neither is it spiritual. As much as we can, with everything in us, we must draw closer and closer to Jesus Christ, especially as we see the day approaching. As Jesus' imminent return draws closer and closer, why would we want to spend any of our time out here playing around with that junk? 
We ought to be investing our time, our resources into the kingdom of God. Where we can reap eternal rewards. Where we will be able to spend the, the, the benefits of that for all eternity. To say it another way. When we stand before God in that day. Will I be sorry that I spent more time in church? Will I be sorry that I spent more time working for God? Or will I be sorry I spent more time out there and less time in here? What will I regret when I stand before Jesus Christ? That's what I don't want to do. If I can stand before God and say, I've done everything according to your will. I've done it right. And I hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Good, well. That's what I want to hear. That's our hope. I am so looking forward to seeing him face to face. He is the object of our affection. He's the reason we do what we do. I love him so much. Let's all stand.